Welcome to the No Shortcuts Podcast. I'm Edgel Groves. Okay, you guys are in for a treat today. My guest is none other than Linda Perry. Linda Perry is a force of nature. There's no other way to put it. She embodies what this podcast is all about. She lives and breathes No Shortcuts, and she gets into her entire career, how she got started, the struggles of being in a very famous band for non-blondes, writing a hit song that took the world by storm, and then having to figure out what her next stage of her career was, having to transition and reinvent herself, and then going on to write with people like Pink, Christina Aguilera, Adele, Alicia Keys, James Blunt, Gwen Stefani. The list is very, very long, but I just love it. She does not hold back. She will tell you like it is and has a million stories and a great, great, great wealth of knowledge. Without any further ado, Linda Perry. Linda, welcome to the podcast. Hello there. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. How's it going over there? I'm good. At, I'm in my uh, studio in Sherman Oaks, and... Um, and I love it. I love it. Like I sometimes I was like I was on a meeting today and they were like, uh, you know, what were you doing yesterday? And I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm working on this project and I was here at 530 in the morning yesterday. And I le- I mean, 630 in the morning yesterday. And I walked out of the studio at 530 in the morning today. And but Edgel, I just get it's like a high. I don't understand. Like like I don't drink coffee. I don't do drugs. I don't do anything. And like when I'm working and the create, you know, right when I'm about to like, I can't go another hour. Like I get this shot of like, I don't know if my endorphins kick in because I'm just so in love with being in my fucking studio and creating. It just keeps me going. So that's what I'm doing. That's where I'm at. <laughs> well, you, you definitely have more energy than most people I know. It, it comes from some other place, I think, with you. It Maybe it's like the love for what you do, but I think there's also some other ethereal thing attached to you, to your sort of being. You definitely have that, like, you're just kind of floating along and people have to keep up with you. That's no, what I've noticed. I think. Thank you. I appreciate that. I say that about Dolly Parton. Like, she's literally one of those frequencies that are just higher than most and but I really appreciate that because you know I was pretty much a dick when I was younger and when I was in Four Non Blondes I was not the greatest I mean it was I was kind of always defiant and I mean I'm just still defiant but but for no reason you know what I mean like when you're a little shithead you just want to be a dick for what can I swear on your show sorry. I mean do all of the swearing okay. and but yeah I know what you mean you you have something to prove especially at those young, young yes age. and then it's- everybody always hop you know we're down on us because like you know we had this big song and you know and you know I I guess I looked funny I'm a I'm a funny looking person I, I've always worn big hats I've always dressed funny since the day you know I was born so I I think I just started getting really aggro and so I felt like my frequency was not good it was like I didn't feel like people wanted to do things with me or for me you know and so after I left the band I like just cleaned out everything and I find it so important to communicate, collaborate, um, resolve, um, align, 
all those things. And the only way we can do that is to be able to stay focused on keeping, putting out good energy. I mean, that's how I, I tried to do, I just did something just like an hour ago that was, I was being defiant and I should, but what was going on, my defiance, although I should have fought for this, I could see it was creating weird energy for other people, you know? And so I was like, you know what? Is this worth it for me? No, it's not. And so I walked away. Choose your battles, right? That's a hard lesson to learn, right? Is this worth it? Uh, That actually is a good um, thing you just brought up. And a question I want to ask, like, how did you actually transition of being like that rebellious? Like I was that way. I was kind of a shithead in my teens and my 20s. I was impossible to deal with in a lot of ways. And I don't really remember the exact point where I stopped being that way. I think it just kind of happened. And I, I figured that I need to have a little bit more patience and be a little more gracious and grateful. But like, do you, did you have a moment where you're like, oh, maybe I, maybe I can do less of that? Was there ever like a specific moment or something that happened? Well, I think for me, like, I've, you know, I've struggled with depression my whole life. Like, I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm actually a very depressed person. But I'm a... um um, what's the word when you're a, when an alcoholic can actually remain working? Was it a functioning? Functional. I'm a functional, yeah, a functional, functional mood, uh, moody person, and um, and but I thrive in it. Like there's, I love. Some days I just wake up like so down, but instead of going down there, I just go okay. Today's going to be a down day. I'm good with that. It's like I embrace it all. So the switching point for me was, I mean, and this actually is a, a true story. I'm not even trying to say, tell you the story um, to make me even seem cool. It's actually a real thing that happened. And it was a very big, monumental, it was a gargantuan fucking size reality check for me. And 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 to remind me of my instincts and who I should be and who I want to be, not right. who I was trying to be. But anyways, I was having a hard time with four non blondes, and I wasn't happy in it. And and I can't really pinpoint why. I just it didn't feel like my bus. I didn't feel like I was on the bus with the right people. And um and so. One day I looked at my best friend and he was like, you know, well, what do you want? I'm like, Aben, I want to play Carnegie Hall. I want people to be dressed in, in dresses and suits and ties. And, and I want an orchestra behind me and I want a killer band with percussions and, and I just want to be heard. I kid you fucking not, my manager at the time calls me like a week later, a week later, and she says, hey, somebody's going to call you. Just know that it is who they are when they call you. I'm not going to tell you who, you know, and I'm like, you know, okay. And so this person calls me, English guy. I instantly am like, wait who is, I know this voice. I'm, and he's, this is Roger Daltrey. It's my birthday. 
I'm going to have this big party at Carnegie Hall, and Michael Kamen is going to conduct a 55-piece orchestra. What? Yes. <laughs> and Pete Townsend and John Entwistle and Eddie Vedder and, and Lou Reed and Iggy Pop and Sinead O'Connor are all performing, and I want you to come and sing. You remind me of an old friend of mine named Janice Joplin. And your voice is beyond and your soul and your character and your laugh even. And, you know, and he invited me to come to Carnegie Hall and sing. And I got on that plane and I got there and I walked into the rehearsal place and I just stopped dead and I just started crying. And right then and there, I realized my life, my power, everything I am, everything I want to be is all in my power of manifesting. And if I want greatness, I'm going to have to give greatness to, to people. If I want love, I'm going to have to give love. I'm going to have to receive love, you know? And that was a very big changing point. And then I had dreads at the time. And then I got home. From New York, mind blown, and I just shaved all my dreads off, and I started right then my new journey on, you know what? I'm going to be an awesome person, and I'm going to thrive and strive and be motivated and inspired to just be, and this is where you come in, a, a entity that just floats down the hallway. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah, put put out what you want back, yeah. and and it, it can be as simple as that. You know, you can overcomplicate these things, and get in your head about the more human I am, and the more I overthink things and analyze them, the more I will solve problems, yeah. and that is a massive mistake. I think a lot of times it's like getting out of your own way and realizing it's really simple. It's the golden rule: just put out there what you want back, and then be fucking badass. Right. Be great at what you do, and also make other people feel badass. Yes. When they're around you. That is and the key right there is making like the, you know, what's here's a, I'm sorry, if I'm talking too much, I, I can't help it. I just do. No, please. Here's <laughs> a great thing about Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton is one of the most recognizable people in the world. One of the biggest artists ever. And when that woman walks into a room, she's always dolled up. She's always Dolly. She's never not Dolly, right? And whether you're the producer, the guy that just dropped off, um, a, you know, a microphone or the person who just brought in a coffee, she treats everybody with such respect. And it doesn't matter what your job title is, is her whole energy is to lift people up because she believes that that's what we're meant to do here is to lift everybody up so no one ever feels down you know so that's kind of like when i was working with her it you know i was already doing that but it really came because a great leader man is that is true a great leader steps aside and puts people in position that they know is stronger than they are man the, the word that comes to mind is transcendent you know, you, you transcend your role, you transcend your status, you transcend whatever it may be. And you just make everybody around you feel like you're on the same playing field. 
And when you do that, there's very few people who can do that, but it sounds like Dolly has that. But when you do that, people are, they gravitate towards you. You become magnetic. And when, when that happens, when there's a magnetic field around you, great things happen because people realize um, that if, if they're in that energy, great things can be manifested. Like you said, you can actually manifest those things you want to happen. Um, speaking of transcendence, um, one of the first questions I wanted to ask you is how in the world did you, against all odds, figure out how to make it in this business? Like, where did you actually start and what made you decide to get into this fucking, you know, crazy fun house of mirrors? You know, I, I, when I was very young, um, I just knew I wasn't going to need school. I just knew I was terrible at school. I can't, I have a, a learning disability where it's very hard for me to hear, like when someone is trying to teach me something, I literally hear Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. I can't compute it. I just, it gets all confused in my head. So I was always bad at school, but I knew I wasn't going to need that. So I was just like, I operated as Linda Perry, like very early on, I was introducing myself as Linda Perry and people would laugh at me and like, oh, you know, why do you say your last name? Because my last name's important, you know, and I want you to know it. My name is Linda Perry, you know? And um, so I interviewed myself. I would sit in my room and do all this stuff. And it, it didn't matter. I could have been a tennis player or a police officer. It didn't matter. I was somebody already. And so everything, I felt like everything in my life were just kind of subtle steps into this walk of fame, you know, in a sense. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, you know, started getting older and it would get stronger and stronger. And honestly, it wasn't until I was, I think, 19 or 20, did I go, oh, I'm going to be, I didn't even know what I was going to be famous for, but, and then it would hit me like, oh, I'm going to be a rock star. And then I started my journey. I played shows by myself. I, I would jump up on stage because I, I, you know, my music career started in San Francisco, but I, I was raised in San Diego. But yeah, so when I got there, I was like just jumping on stages you know, opening up for this, opening up for that, playing on the corner. I would play in restaurants to make um, money to eat. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have anything, you know, so I was doing everything, you know, I've lived in, uh, you know, I've been homeless. I've uh, squatted in uh, apartments with my acid friends and punk rockers. And I was a total punk rocker. When I moved to San Francisco, I got a little more mature, but yeah, Yeah. everything just kind of started going this route and with four non-blondes or without, I was going where I was going Mm -hmm. and the outcome sure would have been different, but I'm not complaining. No, no. And, and and I hear that quite often that, that take of like, I don't know what I was going to do. I don't know how I was going to get there, but I was going to get there because that's who I am and that's what I was going to do. Um, but yeah, isn't that interesting, right? Even without four non-blondes, I still think in some way, shape, or form, we would still be sitting here talking about um, about your career, which I think is, you know, that's a fascinating discussion to be having. Um, so like, okay, so you went through this like crazy phase, but then where did it all make sense to you where you realized like what your sound was and your 
your moment where you're like, oh, I think I know what I'm doing musically now and I know myself. Were you, did you get it by the time you were 19 or did it take a few years to craft that? Well, what was really interesting is, you know, I think what, I mean, I can't really talk for right now because I can only speak for what I know. I'm not trying to be an artist, you know, right now in these de- times. But, you know, you, there was a lot of work that had to happen. I mean, we, you would flyer, you would get rehearsal places, and you would rehearse like three, four, four days a week, five to six, seven, sometimes 10 hours a day. And, you know, we would put mirrors in there so I could see what I look like, you know, while I was sitting there do i just want to be like or do i want to do i look like a star in that mirror because i i want to be that person in that mirror right so so there's a and then you have to like make mistakes you you go play live you go play i mean we we played in uh garages we played in basements we played at college places um um you know, we played where we just showed up in a van and put stuff on a lawn and played. And But what happens is that you get this by performing and doing all of this, you automatically start getting to understand what people like, yep. what songs yep. are relating to people, um, how to make a set, you know, flow, how to perform, how to master your art, how to be the strongest, how to figure out your voice. Do I, am I down here? Do I go up here? Do I need to be yelling right now? Or do we take it down? You know, so it's like this art starts happening without you really understanding what you're doing. It just organically happens because it's the nature of performance. When you perform, you understand what people are like. If people are falling asleep and walking out, you know you suck and you need to change the game. If people (laughs) are staying there and, you know, and and every time you perform, there's a bigger line and more people and more people, you are on to something, you know. Now, today, that doesn't happen. It has That hasn't happened in years, decades probably. You know, a lot of kids don't even understand what a rehearsal room is. They they you know, when I say that they're like, "What? You know, what's a rehearsal room?" So, right. it's a different time. So, for me, it was I uh, what happened for me, I didn't really identify my sound. That's why I left the band because I started feeling like my sound was a more it was the sound of the band that I really wasn't 100% behind. So, the difference if I would have went solo is I know I would have been more of an artist sitting here talking to you. I would be one of the biggest artists in the world if Mm. I would have went by myself because I would have been able to make those mistakes. I would have been able to figure out who I am, but I had to do it in a band. They were, they were in 30 bands prior to me. I was in the, that was my first band I've ever been in. So it was, it was a, it was a different journey for me, and but I adore who I am and where I am right now, and I'm not complaining, but it yeah. takes time. It takes yeah. time. 
Yeah, that, that's absolutely it. I mean, I, I had to learn the hard way after 1,200 shows myself of touring for a decade that I did not know when I started off, when you get to that 10-year mark or 1,200 shows, whatever it is, right. how much you learn. I got on stage five nights a week for almost a better half of a decade. And I can tell you that the majority of that time, people were leaving the room right. and not listening to our sets. And it's, as you go, you start to Wait, go, oh, what was your are- band again? Uh, my band was called Sun Domingo. Yeah, you told so, me. Yeah, and so it's like, but then after, you know, you're five years in, six years in, you start to realize, oh, more people are coming. More people are coming. Oh, we're getting bigger tours. Oh, we got a record deal offer. All these things are starting to happen. You're like, oh, it's because we're actually getting better. And it just takes the time it takes. Like, There's yeah. no shortcut to that. There, there's no way to, to just wake up one day and be like, I look the part, I play the part, I sound the part, I know my audience, I know how to put on a a club show. I know how to put on a festival show. I know how to play to an arena. No, you fucking don't. You have to figure it out. You have to figure it out. Yeah. Well, I think that too, like when, um, so, you know, for non blondes, you know, we got signed Interscope and then we released a record. We released the bigger, better, faster, more record. And, um, we sat there for like almost, it was a year. Not a bite, not anything, nothing, nothing happened. And, and we were, oh shit, you know, and cause a wow. year is a long time, you know, to be waiting, your album's been out for a year and you're waiting for something to happen. And then, and people weren't playing what's up either, you know? And so then I, um, talked to the band and I said, I talked to the label, talked to the manager, and I'm like, let's start calling radio stations ourselves. What can it hurt? So we got all the list of all the radio stations in America, split it up. Here, you take that, take that. And we just start calling. And then that was creating interest because they thought it was, what is the band doing calling us? You know, I guess bands weren't doing that. And then this guy in Las Vegas, John Griffin, I remained friends with him after because it was just so amazing what he did. He just started playing What's Up. Damn. And, and their sta- his station was the edge in, in Las Vegas. And if you know radio, the edge is across America, 91X, you know, mm-hmm. all of it, you know, across Seattle, New York, Z100, who owned the edge owned them all. And, he started playing us and and the phone started ringing and then out of nowhere we we were on this tour with Big Head Todd and the Monsters. Oh yeah, I love those guys. Yeah, so yeah. The nicest guys. We're on we're opening up for them. And then so this is starting to bubble up but we don't know. We're on tour. We don't get the, the, you know, you don't really understand how it happens. It just starts happening or it doesn't. So we're in the middle of this tour with these guys and we're just like, oh yeah. And then you start seeing a shift in the audience where when we went on, there were so many people there. And then when we went off, there wasn't any more people. Like it was like the crowd shifted. And and that- The the opener became the headliner. (laughs) The opener became the headliner. And then those guys are so sweet and they came to us and were like- Listen, we love you guys. It's been literally the best tour we've ever been on, but you guys have to go because your fans are buying the tickets and our fans can't get to it. And 
it's this is not a good look for us. And we were like, totally understand. And it was so heartbreaking because they took a chance on us when nobody else was taking us out on the road. And but so then, Mm. you know, a year later, you know, what's up starts blowing up and then we're considered like this band that just showed up out of nowhere and became this overnight success. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and you, nope. we, we hear that story all the time. Like, oh yeah, they just, you know, where do they come from? Well, they came from a lot of work, you know, that you didn't get to see or hear about. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And then, um, you know, I know there was a lot of stuff that happened in between there and you've done a million things since. So, where did you make the transition from being, you know, more of the, the person in the spotlight to being kind of what you're doing now, which is behind the scenes, producing artists, writing with artists, doing all this stuff that, that I think is just just utterly impressive. Um, you know, how how did that happen? Was it a natural transition or did you decide, you know what, I'm done touring. I'm done grinding like that. I think I want to do something different. Um, thank you for asking that. Um because I, I find it to be a very interesting conversation, you know, to have with people because you do like, how does it happen? How do you go from here to there? Um, and, you know, honestly, I, Edgel, I didn't really like the, I didn't like touring. I didn't like playing when I didn't feel like it. Cause I'm a very passionate, emotional person. Performance, it literally took so much out of me because it was like I just threw it all out there like so many rock stars do um but as you know it's tiring and I was getting it was hurting me it was when I would see someone yawn or not listening you know we've played to 80,000 people and if there's one you'll totally relate one person in there like going you know, I'm just <laughs> that's like, the, that's the one that pisses you off. And now you're focused on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like going, okay, I, I've got to get their attention. I got to, you know, and then I start putting out more, this one person out of, you know, 79,900, whatever is, is the one person that's driving me into insecurity, you know? <laughs> and I'm like going, and I, I can't, you know, appreciate this 80,000 van, you know, fans that are watching us. So it was, it, it hurt me. It's like, it was painful. Critique was painful. I'm, I'm an emotional person. I, I'm, I operate from my heart. There's nothing going on in here. Just, I'll just tell you that right now. There's not, it's like crickets in there. It's like, there's, you know, mm-hmm. my brain is watching TV and it's very foggy, you know? And, but in here mm-hmm. is where all my thoughts come from. And here is where my dreams and my creative and my inspiration, my motivation, it all comes here. I do not believe that we need all of this to be moving forward and being smart and intellectual. Um, I'm, I'm emotionally intellectual. Um, so, you know, I was like, all right, I'm done. You know, yeah. that was it. I'm done. I'm, I'm done with this. We started making a second record, and I thought it was crap. And because the band was asking me to write certain songs like the first album, and I'm like, but that's not where I'm at. I want to do Dark Side of the Moon, man. I want to, I want to explore the possibilities of my, you know, moodiness and emotions. Like, I need to figure out why I'm so fucked up. And I'm not going to figure it out with you guys 
trying to get me to write like upbeat pop songs. It's just not going to happen. And so I left and um, the label dropped the ban and kept me, which is not what I intended to happen. I thought they were going to let me go because that's what they told me. Mm. And then they afterwards said, you're crazy that you thought we were going to let you go. You're the singer and the, the, the main, you're the star of the band. And so I, they let me go make my Dark Side of the Moon, which is such a beautiful album called In Flight. It is so stunning, this record. And then they shelved it because it had no hits on it. And I told them it wasn't going to have any hits, but it crushed my soul. It like literally crushed me. And then I was like, okay, now nah, I'm really dumb. And then I, yeah. I moved to LA and I, and I called up a friend and I'm like, what is all that? What's that sound on the radio right now? It's like 2000, you know? I mean, I was in San Francisco becoming a heroin addict, doing all this weird shit, and I, come, <laughs> and I come to L.A. So I'm like, what's that sound? And then they're like, oh, yeah, and it's like a, a, you know, an R&B friend of mine. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's the Triton piano and uh, mm-hmm. an MPC and the Roland expansion, you know, card or whatever. And I'm like, so I went and bought all of it. And I'm like, okay. Because I was always analog. I everything. Like, if you see behind me, it's all, I got my API, I got all this analog, <laughs> right? So I go get this shit. And mind you, in San Francisco, I'm signing bands. And not for anything, but like demos. I'm making demos because I want to expand my production now because I have all this gear. So I start helping bands out in San Francisco. Well, I want, I want to plant a flag right there, right? Yeah. Basically, this is phase three of career, right? Phase one right. is figuring out how to write music and how to become a musician and rehearsing. And then phase two was starting a band, getting signed, going on tour, having a hit song. And then phase three of your career is, shit, that's over. I'm going to move to LA and start all over again. Yeah. Figure this whole thing out, reinvent myself. But I think that's important, right? Because it's, this is not one straight line. Yeah. This is like up, down. Down, up. up. Down. Down. Oh my God. The struggles, dude. Um, it's (laughs) like so crazy because yeah, I was like, okay, I don't want to be in a band. I don't want to do music because it hurts me too much, you know? And so, okay, I'll help other people. So I started spending my money on San Francisco bands, um, making demos. I said, Hey, I'll pay for it if you let me produce it. Cause I'd like to get my skill together. You know, and they're like, yeah, sure. So I started, pro- I started yeah. producing bands in San Francisco and, um, and, and I got really good at it. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Then I moved to San, um, to LA and then I was like, got that gear. And then I'm like literally in the middle of like, okay, what does this Triton do? And I'm like, oh, it's just, oh, okay. It just. I create a beat and it loops, right? All right, great, got it. And and I don't have Pro Tools, so I'm going to tape right now with all this stuff. And then I get the Triton, find some sounds, and I'm just playing live, you know, just like, okay, weird clav, okay, that. I grab the guitar and I'm all, quack, 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 quack. you know, what's this rolling <laughs> thing do? And I'm like looking at the rolling thing, it's got some horns in there, and I'm like, you know, whatever. And I'm like, okay, what other shit can I throw on here? Because I'm just trying to figure out what all this stuff does. And then yeah. I'm like, okay, well, and I look around for a microphone and, oh, there's my harmonica microphone. I just pick it up and I'm all, okay, I'm coming up, so you better get this party started. And I just started singing every cliche line I could think of on the spot. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, and I start laughing at the end of it. I'm like, holy shit. 
I just wrote a fucking huge fucking <laughs> dance song. And then two weeks later, two fucking weeks later, I get this crazy random call from this chick named Pink. And I have no idea who she is saying she wants to maybe write a song with me or me sing on her album. And then, That's so random. Isn't that crazy? Uh, yeah, but it, it sounds like, I mean, and this is how it happens, right? But you were putting the work in. You were just doing the thing, right? You were like a mad scientist in your, in your bubble, like figuring out the gear and figuring out these things. And you're just experimenting, right? You got like, you're just mixing all these things and you're not doing it for any other reason besides you're just there to do it having fun being in the moment and then that that's when that that thing hits all of a sudden this idea comes through you that wasn't yours and it just all comes out of you and you're like what the fuck was that right why did i just write this thing that i would never have written ever two years ago five years ago or ever and then you're like okay i don't know what that was and then two weeks later the phone rings (laughs) and there's this person and you're like wait a minute right so but i mean that's how it happens right it's like preparation meets meets that moment where you know, the opportunity happens. Well, I think also too, it's about how open we um, walk in life. I mean, I, you, you have to, you have to be open to the possibilities of, you know, you're going to go to that particular store and when you get there, it's closed. Now, do you sit there and wait, complain, go back home, or do you just find another store? or another, you know, whatever. It's like, we have to be able to navigate and pivot and twirl and spin and jump and do whatever we need to do to get, you know, through life and and, and the creative and and to achieve whatever this, that thing is, that that thing that's driving you to go over there, you know? So it's all a lot of instinct. It's all a lot of personal, you know, it's like an internal navigation system that's sitting in there emotionally navigating you to make the right choices. And you kind of feel it when you make a bad choice. It, you can feel it. You do. Mm-hmm. But when you well, make you- a right one, it's like it just starts, you just feel like it's like a magnet. Well, you know what it is? I call it, you know, being in the flow. Other people call it other things. But when you're in the flow, the difference is you're just open to whatever. And when something meets you with resistance, instead of trying to force it, you you happily let it pass through you and you move on to the next thing, right? So when something's not working, I know a lot of people that think success is this. They're like, if I'm working hard on something and I'm meeting a lot of resistance, if I continue to roll that boulder up the hill, I eventually will get the boulder to the top of the hill, which is true. Anybody can do that. Congratulations. That's called <laughs> pure strength and, 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 and work, right? But the problem is, usually when you do that and you're pushing it up the hill, it will roll back on you and crush you eventually. The best stuff in life just happens. You don't force it. And if you meet resistance, be okay with that. Be like, okay, that's not working. What's the next thing? Like you said, you... You never know what's going to happen next and just be okay with that thing and be open to all of it and don't fight it. Don't fight it. Yeah, you can't. And then like with the whole pink thing, which was interesting, I was, my manager at the time was, I said, you know, maybe I might be interested in making enough time pass. I was like, maybe I'd be interested in making an album. 
And she put that word out and like all these people are interested in, in, in seeing me and hearing what I was doing. And so she had put together this um, showcase with a lot of big hitters. And after I met with Alicia Pink, I came back and I'm like, nah, cancel the showcase. And she's all, what? Like I've been putting this together for months. I'm like, yeah, I'm not supposed to do that. There's something about this girl. I think this is my journey. And she's like, well, what does she want you to do? And I'm like, she wants me to sing like on a song or maybe possibly write a song with her. And my manager was like, you want me to stop a whole showcase that I've been working on for the possibility of you writing a song maybe and maybe singing on this girl's album? I'm like, (laughs) yeah. That's I'm going to I'm going to go with this. There's something here. And that something turned into misunderstood. And one of the biggest records of that time, which launched my whole new chapter as a producer, songwriter. And, you know, I started an incredible journey from that. And then I really that was the next phase of me becoming more collaborative, more understanding in and putting more power in people's hands. And then, you know, I, my ego blew up a little bit too because everybody wanted to work with Linda Perry, you know? And, and that's the star in me. Because no matter what, I don't, I don't care what I'm doing. Like I said, I could be selling shoes. I'm a rock star. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what label you right. put on me. There's only one label that I am, and it's a rock star. I don't care what yep. my profession is. Um, but you know, so that was a really incredible and it's been, it it really opened and launched me into this whole other world. God, what a wild ride. I mean, we could talk for hours about the story. So, uh, can you just talk about a little bit, uh, a bit about what you're doing now? Cause I know you said, um, we were talking earlier that you're working on some crazy things. So we wanted to save it for this conversation. So I'd love to hear about it. Well, um, you know, so I've been, um, so, I mean, I'm just going to backtrack just a tiny bit. So, I, you know, I, I believe in art. I, you know that about me. A lot of people know that. I'm always supporting artists. I'm, I, will, I do tons of panels. I, wanna, I want to teach kids. I want to give them the right information. Um, before pandemic hit, I was flying everywhere and doing seminars, you know, keynote, speaker, all of it, just to try to give, basically the conversation we're having is very on point to what I talk about. And, and just giving the other information that kids aren't getting, you know. So, you know, I've, then I, I started a label um, a while ago called Custer Records, and then I found this artist that nobody wanted. His name was James Blunt. And I was like, are you kidding me nobody wants this guy he got passed on by everybody twice and i'm like you know dude i'm taking you you know we're going we're gonna go for this ride you know you want to go with me and he's like yeah you know he's an english dude and so (laughs) we make the album and it gets passed on again you know and i'm like this just doesn't seem right and so go to europe and i'm like listen you know to the east west over there max and court i'm like this guy's gonna blow up I need help. So they come on board. And three years later, James is one of the biggest artists and sold 12, 13 million records, you know? And so that opened up an, a door for me to like go, okay, I want to explore the possibilities of running a label. 
Now, what happened with me is that if I'm not 100% passionate and I don't feel that, that lightning in a bottle with somebody, you can't make something happen. So I closed the, the label down because it's like, okay, it, I, I'm not feeling it. It's not here. And so right. then I became re- a reluctant manager. You know, all of a sudden there was this artist named Dorothy and they wanted me to produce the record. And I said, listen, I don't think she has a great team. I don't think you guys are doing a great job for her. And so producing a record for her would go nowhere. And then they circled back around and said, do you want a manager? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so Mm. my partner and I started managing her and then turned into me managing this kid, Willa Amai. So this is my 16-year-old artist that I have that is like phenomenal. Her voice is so soothing and comforting, especially for these times. And she's 16 and writes all her songs and and she's finding herself and I'm, I'm being able to help her without touching her songs. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. rewriting her songs. She, I'm just pushing her to be better. So then I put it out in the universe like, you know, I want to score. I want to do films. I want to do TV. I don't really want to write songs for people who don't fucking appreciate it. I don't want to write right. songs right. for people who are chasing someone else's fucking career. I want to write songs because they're good and someone wants to take a chance on having some emotional, you know, depth to their fucking career. But fuck you. I'm not interested in that right now. So I'm going to go over here. And I put that out. And all I'm getting right now, I'm finishing up, you know, I just finished this Sean Penn documentary. I'm finishing up this other documentary called Kid 90. I'm I'm scoring this Punky Brewster, you know, series. It's super fun. You know, it's just like, it's just fun, you know. So I'm trying to do things that are fun. Willa is starting to get some attention. I have a couple other artists, one named Frances Lyon that's from UK. And oh my God, when she explodes onto the airwaves, people are going to freak out. Her voice is insane. You know, I have Jesse Joe Stark. I mean, I just have all this really... Mm-hmm. Awesome stuff just circulating in my life. And then on top of it, the best job I have, and I'm amazing at it, and I didn't think I would, is I'm an incredible mom. I'm a, I have a five-year-old, and listen, I was, awesome. from, I was from an abusive family. And when you're abused, the last thing, I mean, for me, Last thing I would ever think about is raising a child, having a child and raising one because the fear of me being my parents, am I going to be them? Because I have absolutely no good skills whatsoever. I've had to learn how to be a functioning person in this world because no thanks to my parents did I get any help in there. And, (laughs) um, and they were just obstacles and very, you know, it, it was very difficult, you know, so so then I have this child and you have this fear. You're like going, oh, my God, am I going to beat him one day? Am I going to yell at him? Am I going to unleash this, you know, five-year-old me that was beaten and tortured and molested and abused and all this? Is this fucking monster that's living inside of me going to come out on right. this child? And no, it's like opposite. Through him, I've been healing. And through him, I've just opened up this whole other world of love, patience, understanding, empathy, and, and you know, everything. And so that's my world right now. And among 
so many other incredible opportunities that float in and out. But yeah, and it, you can never hand me too much because for some reason, I excel in stress. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. I mean, first of all, congratulations on on all of that because I I think one of the most important things in life is to a be aware of the abuse, but b knowing to end the cycle and having the strength and the power to end that cycle between generations, right? You know, you know how yes. you were and how your family was, and for you to be such a good mom and to really step into that is incredibly powerful and just amazing. So I just think that's beautiful. Thank you. And my son, he is so talented and smart. And I think that just to kind of come back to the initial thing you said at the beginning, there is no shortcuts to life. There is no shortcut to a career, because if you do find a shortcut to a career, you're going to find a shortcut out of it too. Like it's not going to last as long because it is that journey that helps you have longevity and understand how to move. You know, it's like a boxer, man. It's like the music business is pam, 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 pam. And if you're not experienced and you don't have the reflexes and the mobility and the intellectual and the the instinct, you're going to be knocked down a lot. But, you know, it's like I have been, you know, I feel like fucking Rocky. I'm just like, I got this groove going on. And, you know, and the great thing is, I rarely throw a punch. I don't throw punches. I just dodge them and they're humorous to me. And I find it really fun at this point in my life. And, but yes, there are no shortcuts at all. And, and we have to work. We have to. I work super hard. I am a workaholic and I love every moment of it. And if more kids... I really do, if anything that I say today comes through, is you have to invest in who you are, what you're doing, in the big dream. Don't get caught up in this dangly little sparkly thing that looks easy because trust me, it doesn't. It's not easy. Once you get there, believe me, you're going to deal with a whole bunch of other heartache. But when you're when you're navigating your own path and you're being able to say hello on the way and understand and talk to people and, oh, oh, okay, thanks for the input. Oh, thank you. Hey, did you guys? And then we get to share that information. And then we grow into this incredibly strong artist that is able to take all the people around you and lift them up. And at the end of the day, that is what we're here to do. Our talents, our creatives, everything that we are here to do is supposed to lift to a higher frequency. Uh, well, that's some powerful shit. I mean, your words are incredibly infectious. Um, and I'm going to steal that quote, by the way. Which if you one? find a shortcut into a career, uh, you'll find one out. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 that's so true. And uh, you couldn't have said it any better. Well, Linda, I know you got a million things going on. I will let you get back to it. But thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for taking the time today. You're amazing. All right. And I'm sure people will get a ton out of this. Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me on here. As always, you know, I'm totally here to support however I can. All right. All well, right. thank you again. We'll Bye. speak soon. Bye.